0: It's not a sprint, you know, we are in it for, you know, the long game, um, but, you know, that's absolutely fine as long as you're making those small steps and you're seeing the progress. That's absolutely amazing. So welcome to this episode of Finding Your Range podcast with me, Jeannie Debon a movement therapist who specializes in hypermobility, EDS and chronic pain. And today I'm delighted to have a guest expert patient with us, Bethany Honaker, who joins us all the way from the United States. Um, So I'm just gonna read you Bethany's um, little biography here. So Bethany is 37 and married with three children. She works full time as an RN transplant coordinator managing kidney transplant patients. She has a HSD, so hypermobility spectrum disorder, diagnosis. Her symptoms started 10 years before her diagnosis and began after her first child, and they've become progressively worse with each pregnancy. Bethany got her her official diagnosis just last year. So welcome, Bethany, and thank you for joining us today on Finding Your Range. Welcome. Thank you. So good to have you here. Um, I was really interested by your bio because um, you mentioned that your your symptoms started after your first pregnancy. Um, so did you have a relatively normal sort of symptom-free childhood looking back? Um, I
1: think looking back now, probably not completely normal, um, but I, I think I assume they were normal at the time. Yeah. Um, so I was born with clubbed feet. So I had to wear um, a brace and a bar for several years as a child, yep. um, and then after that, um, I remember I was never allowed to sit in certain positions because they were worried about my ankles and hips. Yeah. Um, I also had a lot of skin issues. I would get severe eczema, um, and my mother would put me in tights even in the summer because she was afraid people would think I had something contagious. Oh no. So, oh, so I. As I got older, I was always extremely clumsy, constantly spraining things, bruising things. Um, my mom tried to put me in gymnastics, which didn't help. No, <laughs> but we tried no. that. Yeah. Um, and then going into, like, teenager college years, um, more at that point, the fatigue. I had very poor exercise intolerance. Yeah. Um, the only subject I got be in in high school was in PE because I, I just couldn't keep up. Um, But again, like that was normal for me. And so I really, I don't think it, even in high school and college really thought that there was, you know, something different.
0: Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? You grow up with all these symptoms um, and because there wasn't enough research or or interest in it, we just grew up assuming all these things are normal. Um, Yeah. It comes quite a revelation, doesn't it? When you find out that it's all part of a bigger Yeah. A bigger picture. Yeah. yeah, it really is. And so what happened, you had your first um, baby. So what yeah. happened after that? What was the pregnancy like? And what happened after the pregnancy?
1: Yeah, so um, with my first baby, um, I did go through um, infertility um, testing and treatment um, several years before I was able to get pregnant. Um, they really couldn't find a specific cause other than tell me that I was different, that my hormones were different. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, I was able to get pregnant. I was That was a huge blessing. Um, that pregnancy, I just had, I mean, like what I thought was a lot of the normal pregnancy symptoms, a lot of fatigue. I ended up quit working in the first trimester and spent the whole pregnancy at home. Mm-hmm. Um, reflux, nausea, um, back pain, um, kind of all the things that they would tell you they'll get better after you have the baby. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then after yeah. I had her, um, I continued to have a lot of low back pain and that was when I had that initially worked up and pretty much doctors blamed it on, well, you had a baby and you work as a nurse, so that's probably why your back hurts.
0: Right. So. Okay. So it kind of went sort of undiagnosed at that stage and then you, right. went, on, you went on to have two further, um, babies. Um, yeah. and so Did things get worse each time? What happened?
1: Yeah, it was almost like I would keep symptoms along the way. Um, So with my second pregnancy, um, that's when I developed a lot of the sciatic pain. um, Whereas before, it had only been low back. Again, kind of keeping those other symptoms. Um, And then I started to have some issues with my shoulder. Um, And then after I had her was when I started having... Tears in the shoulder. I had um, a torn rotator cuff and a torn labral in the other shoulder, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then the sciatic pain, of course, they said would get better after I'd had her, and it never went away.
0: No. Yeah. yeah. Oh dear. And so, um, what happened then? So, you went, after you've had your babies, because you obviously only just got your diagnosis like uh, uh, what you say, a year ago so how old are your? what how old is your youngest now she's four she's four so you've had yes. sort of. and my oldest is 13 right okay so that's a long time isn't it to be mm. sort of struggling with lots of different symptoms and, and and were you trying to get answers or what what was going on in your journey so- there yeah.
1: So after my second one, I really started pushing for more answers. It was the doctors I worked with, my nephrologist that said, you know, it's not normal your age to be having these symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, they also were the one to make a comment that it wasn't normal for me to have a high resting heart rate. Right.
0: Um,
1: so that was what I'm like, okay, maybe I should be looking for more. And so I started seeing some providers. This was in Florida at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, we worked up the spine, found some degeneration, worked up the shoulders, found those tears, um, tried surgery on one of them that wasn't improving with PT. Yeah. I probably was in PT for a solid like three years. Oh. Um and
0: with no, with no real results,
1: no, no. Even after my surgery, a year later, I still had the same pain in the shoulder and the doctor pretty much said, I don't know why it does that. I have no answers for you. Wow. Um, it was during that time that I left bedside nursing um, cause I just couldn't tolerate 12 hours on the floor. And that's when I became a transplant coordinator to be able to work more from a desk.
0: Right, okay. So we had to change lifestyle and job mm-hmm. and everything to. Okay. Um, And so how did you come about to finally get your diagnosis of HSD? How did that happen? Yeah,
1: shortly after we moved was when my third baby came along. Now my third baby was a surprise. Um, They had told me that they didn't expect me to probably have any more and I didn't feel like it was worth pursuing because I had fertility treatments for the first two. So I just didn't feel like pushing that envelope anymore. I was very satisfied with my two. Um, and when I first, again, I was start trying to work up symptoms again when we moved here. Um, the GYN suggested that maybe if I regulated my hormones better, that that might help me feel better. Mm-hmm. And so they had suggested a morena, which is yes. an IUD, um, wow. for hormonal control. And when I went for my four-week follow-up after having it put in, they found out I was eight weeks pregnant. Oh, I no. had tested I had tested negative when they put it in, but for some reason she was there. Then, um, oh. funny enough, that it it had migrated. The IUD had migrated up into the uterus, um, which I'm assuming now is from more lax tissue. Yes. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, they were able to retrieve it successfully without disrupting the pregnancy and. Uh-huh. She did great. Of course, it was the whole thing was hard on me. But yeah, yeah I call her my little miracle baby. The, the hospital says that they've never had that situation before.
0: Wow. Um, oh, how so. lovely. Oh, yeah. well, a lovely surprise. Although, you know, yes. like you say, a bit traumatic for you having to go through that. Wow. Yeah. But oh, how wonderful. Oh, so so you, so she was born and, and obviously she's four now. So. Yeah. how did you get the hsd diagnosis what, yeah what was so, the final push yeah
1: so after i had her um that's kind of when things continue to spiral a lot quicker um yeah. the first year two years after i had her was when i ended up tearing the labrum in my hip then the wrist then the ankle I had occipital neuralgia and I still had all the other back and shoulder issues as well. So everything kind of just piled on top of each other. Um, And so that's, I just, I just kept pushing my doctors those couple of years. I said, let's, let's look for this. Let's look for this. Um, I saw pretty much every specialist at the hospital, um, and even three specialists in the same office because I. I knew they each had, you know, different opinions. Yes. Um, And kind of during all that time was when, again, I'd been in physical therapy. Um, One of the physios that I saw suggested um, hypermobility as a concern. Um, And so I finally got to an osteopathic doctor who was willing to take a good hour with me to really look at the whole picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing that with the suggestion of hypermobility, he was like, oh, you're very mobile in your hips. You're very mobile in your shoulders. This is not what we would expect to be the normal range. Yes. Um, he goes, Do you think that you have something like this? Um, and kind of once he opened that door, then the other providers were like, oh, yeah, of course, that's the problem. So then rheumatology said, oh, yeah, that, that's the issue. And then primary care. Oh, yes, that's the problem. Um, okay. So it, just, it took one doctor to really sit down and take the time to look at the whole picture um, yeah. to help get that diagnosis.
0: Wow. Goodness me. So really tiring, I imagine, going around all these different doctors and then, you know, Was there a sense of relief when you got that diagnosis? How did you feel? definitely relief
1: Um, because I I had seen so many doctors over the years that I would have look at me and say, that's not normal, but have no idea why. And so it was very frustrating to be this unknown factor. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was such a relief to finally know that I am normal. There is an answer. There is a reason why on top of the joint issues, I have the skin issues and the stomach issues and the heart rate issues you know that it does all tie together
0: yeah yeah you know it's such a common thing i think this is coming up a lot in these podcasts which is you know why i think it's so important that we talk about this is you know the fact that it still takes such a long time for someone to join the dots um because there's you know there are a lot of us out there and and i feel we're talking about it a lot but i guess we're not talking enough because it's still taking too long in my opinion, I just think yeah. we need to we need to move on, and because uh, um, it's stressful, right? Especially when you're told, "Well, I don't know. I don't know why you do that, or I don't know why PT doesn't work." Or it's so stressful. Um, yeah. So um, there's going to be many listeners who have. Kind of gone through the same thing and the same journey struggling to get a diagnosis some people will be listening who haven't got a diagnosis um what advice could you give to them if, if they're going through a similar situation
1: I would say that you just you can't give up you ne- it's 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 discouraging and it's hard um but just keep looking keep asking to see the specialists. ask to do like I think in one year I did six MRIs wow. um you know by, by pushing it, by constantly asking, well, let's look at this. Well, let's try this. It helped my doctors finally get to the point where they could finally put the pieces together because with all the testing and referrals, they could rule out everything else. And yeah. so then it was easier to accept the diagnosis.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So basically just keep going. Um, mm-hmm. Keep pushing. I think you do have to be a little bit pushy, don't you? And you have to keep yeah. asking and asking and asking and I think some of us are a little bit afraid to do that especially if we've had doctors who maybe aren't as understanding um you know and are, are kind of cutting us off and being a little bit abrupt um mm-hmm. but I think you know we've just got to keep going despite that even how however painful it can be sort of emotionally um I agree and, and physically on the body because obviously it's stressful on the body and we know yeah that stress has a huge impact on our condition as well. So um, no, that's really, really useful. And what do you think could be changed in the way in in saying, obviously you work in the medical profession as well. So you have some sort of experience of of being in that environment, but what do you think could be changed in how EDS or any kind of chronic illness, these sort of mystery illnesses um, are sort of treated or diagnosed, what could help people?
1: Yeah, I think for diagnosis, it would really help if more doctors would be willing to take the time like that one doctor was for mm-hmm. me. And I realized that insurance and other things make that hard, but I wish there was a way that that could change that you could even offer to like, I'll pay you extra if you'll just slot me this extra time, you know, a way yeah. that you could really have the amount of time that's needed to do and, you know, a full family and and personal history as well as a full physical exam
0: yeah yeah so in the generally you have very how long are the appointments like 15 minutes usually 10 to 15 minutes yeah and so you know very sort of superficial i guess glance over everything is not going as we know you know it's not going to be enough to diagnose eds you do have to do the digging don't you yeah. Mask.
1: And and the problem is that each specialist tends to only focus on their piece. They don't look at the big picture. Yes.
0: Yeah. This is coming up such a lot. You know, this this thing about wishing we had more time to talk to people and to talk to the medical world. And um, and this, you know, idea of. Joining the dots, you know, we talked in the fascia podcast, we were talking about that, about how. um, sorry, anatomy, medical students are still taught very much individual body parts. Mm -hmm. And and it's very difficult for them to then join everything together because they are taught in their specialisms. So yeah, no, no, I totally agree. And what would you say has helped you the most? Because now you're, so you got your diagnosis last year and, and what did you do after that? So what steps did you take? So you thought, right, I now know what I'm dealing with what did you do then? What was the next step? The next step was
1: just figuring out how to manage everything, because, of course, yeah. there's that realization that there will not be a cure or a fix or, a, you know, a magic bullet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the the past year has been learning what tools I need um, to help manage my symptoms. Yeah. Um, and I think that's another big thing that I would like to see change in how chronic disease and EDS is managed is um, specifically in the area of pain management. So for me, that's probably been the biggest problem is chronic pain from so many joint injuries. Um, Mm -hmm. Because as soon as one joint starts to be a problem, the other joints are quickly affected.
0: Yeah.
1: So what has really helped me just through trial and error is finding that combination of both medical and non-medical treatments to help because I feel like pain management is usually, oh, here, here's a narcotic or here, try yoga. Like, and you know, both of those might have their place, but that's not comprehensive pain management. Um, so that's, that's what I've needed. Um, not only medications and, and treatments and injections, but heat and ice, um, tens units, um, red light therapy, magnets, um, different topicals like Arnica or magnesium oil, um, movement therapy with Jeannie Devon, um, (laughs) getting therapeutic special massages or doing manipulation, dry needling, bracing and taping, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, ergonomic devices. So all of those things really have a good place in managing symptoms and managing pain. And I don't think a lot of people realize that because doctors don't offer any of this stuff.
0: Yes, yeah. And did you, that's... Fi- sorry, carry on, carry on. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, that's a really extensive list. That's, you know, that's amazing. Did you just sort of find those yourself through trial and error? So I'll try yes. dry needling, I'll try massage. I'll... Yes. And, just, and did you have some ones that, you know, obviously you came across some things that didn't work quite so well, and you sort of, you got your little uh, toolkit, I guess, of, of what, what works for you. Yeah, mm-hmm. gosh, that's yeah. that's a lot of things to to bring together in a year. So you've really sort of nailed it. I think you seem to have. Well, a, I,
1: I I've said that I would try everything once, just to yeah. see what how it would help and what would happen and where the benefit is. So
0: yeah, wow. So that's yeah, that's a really um, I love that list of all your of all the things you've got. Um, people are probably writing those down and <laughs> <laughs> trying them out as well. Good. Yes. Yeah, so. um, And you obviously work full-time, is that right? You're still working full-time. And you have three small children. So a very busy life Um, and, you know, it's stressful working and running a home. And um, so how do do you manage now? What's your sort of management strategy to keep, obviously manage your symptoms as well as living a full life? Yeah,
1: it's a lot of balancing. Um, and I always say it's a little bit of just embracing some chaos, um, yes. cause just knowing that every day is going to be different. Um, a typical day for me is I get up in the morning and I usually do a movement session to try to get some energy and some mobility. Um, and then after I get ready, my husband helps me with whatever I need, whether that's to put on tens units, lidocaine patches, braces, magnets, whatever I need, depending on where I'm going that day. Yes. Um, At my office, I have a lot of my tools there on hand as well. So, like, there's an ice pack in the freezer if I need to go grab it. And I have a heating pad as well. Um, I have a fully ergonomic desk, which has Mm -hmm. been huge for helping with pain and mobility. Um, I take a handful of medications during the day. Um, And then in the evenings, I usually try to rest a little bit um, and kind of from the chair coordinate my um, husband and kids for doing homework and fixing dinner and taking baths. Um, and then in the evening, I usually try to do another movement session to just try to relax yeah. and calm the muscles. And then depending the on how I feel, then sometimes I'm then going to bed with more of my tools, whether that's the heat or the laser therapy or things like that. Um, and then usually to go to bed at night, um, I have things like audible books to listen to and stuff yeah. like that.
0: Um,
1: so every day is a little different and requires yeah. different tools, but it, yes. I just kind of pull it together to help get through.
0: Oh, well, that's amazing! That's very nicely organized, isn't it? And um, you said about your desk. I like that that you talked about the ergonomics because that ties in nicely with sort of what I believe in is that you know the body is going to be happiest when we're in alignment. So when when we're sits so obviously if you're sitting at your desk for I don't know how many hours a day. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to need to have the best alignment available to you. Mm -hmm. Um, so have you really found ergonomics useful for you for, because there's going to be a lot of people who work, who are listening. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I have a, um, an inverted ergonomic keyboard. Um, I have a roller ball mouse with a very specific wrist cushion that helps support that tear. Yeah. Um, and my my chair is one of the fully adjustable so shoulders, like, mm. the whole thing is adjustable. Um yeah. and I've got a stool as well for putting my feet on. Very
0: um, good. Yeah, awesome. No, no, that's that's really, really useful. Um and so obviously you do your exercise, your movement therapy um, on a regular basis. And what about nutrition? Did that, does that play a part? Do you have to follow any special diets or are you, is that under control, the digestive side?
1: Um, the nutrition is a different struggle for me and it's not so much what I eat, it's that I need to eat. Um, I don't have much desire to eat. I'm not hungry very often and I have right. intermittent nausea and reflux. Um, so it's more about, it helps me if I set reminders, um, and have specific meals and snacks prepped either in my fridge or in my lunchbox. Um, and that kind of, if I can keep something, if I can eat something like about four times a day, then I can usually do better than if I don't eat and then eat too much later.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's more of a schedule
1: versus foods.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, no. It's just making me think, you know, it's interesting isn't it you do have to have a lot of organization I think when you're living with a condition like this and wanting to work or or having a family is it's a lot of pre-planning isn't it by the sound yes. of it? yeah yeah so yeah I think good organizational skills are going to be one of our <laughs> one of our requirements I guess to um, our management strategy And was that, is that naturally in your, um, you know, is that naturally how you are, a very organized person? Or did you have to really sit down and say, right, I need to have snacks, I need to have this ready, that ready? Did that come easily for you?
1: Um, I I think it probably has. I was the oldest of four children um, and had a lot of responsibilities at a very young age and then was pretty much... I mean, my parents took me to college at 17, and then they went back to the mission field. I was a missionary kid, so raised in wow. Africa for a good while.
0: Okay. Um,
1: but I pretty much had, had to learn to be self-sufficient yes. um, fairly young. So yes. now I think it, it's very natural to be organized and have a plan. Yes. And- yes. Yeah. Well,
0: it's invaluable, isn't it? No, very very good. Um, so is there any other advice you could give to our listeners who may be on a journey Any sort of overall, you know, pointers for them? Yeah, I mean,
1: I would definitely say that your movement therapy has been that missing piece um, that that I have needed for for many, many years. Um, That works so well with all of the different tools and and things that I have um, and, and has finally given me the ability to feel like I can make progress. I can actually improve
0: Fantastic. Um, you know, like
1: a good example being that, like my, the TFCC tear that I had in the wrist, um, the only way I could manage it was with one of those wrist widget braces. Um, so I wore that pretty much 24 seven, mm-hmm. um, doing the, the quadruped exercises for the past almost year, I guess. Um, I've been able to get out of that brace and only once in a while might need like a compression glove. Oh, that's
0: um, amazing. What yeah. amazing, so I, amazing progress. Yeah. So that, I,
1: I definitely would encourage anyone to, to do your program. Um, just, you've got to start small and you've got to work slowly. That's my struggle. I don't like to work slow. I want it to be better now. <laughs> um, but really work it just, you know, a couple of times a week, slowly advance to, you know, stay away from the harder things that, you know, you can't do yet. Um, yeah. it, it does make a difference
0: oh um, thank you i'm really glad i'm so glad to hear but yeah you're absolutely right you know it's a long game and um yeah. you know and that's how we stop ourselves getting injured is by taking it slow doing what you can it's you know it's not a sprint you know we are in it for you know the long game um but you know that's absolutely fine as long as you're making those small steps and you're seeing the progress that's absolutely amazing so mm-hmm. oh, brilliant
1: I think the other thing that I would share with everyone is something that someone told me recently is that um, EDS and hypermobility is not a linear linear problem, a linear disease. I think it's very easy to think that and to worry, gosh, if I'm having this many problems now, what's going to happen in five years? How am I going to work or care for my family? But not looking at it like that, realizing that no, this is a a daily thing and I have to take it one day at a time. Mm -hmm. You know, just because one day is hard and and I have more pain doesn't mean that tomorrow will be or that it always will be. Um, So just focusing on it a day at a time and taking it that way, you know, when you have the good days and you feel well, enjoy that and enjoy the things that you can do. And yeah. on, when you have the days when you don't feel well, rest, and that's okay, it's okay to yeah. rest. And remember yeah. that there will be a good day again. Yeah, so.
0: oh, that's lovely, that's really nice. And a really, really important thing to, to communicate to people who are listening, because I think if you do start thinking those bigger thoughts of, oh, you know, what if I never get better? What if I'm always gonna be in pain? What if, the, what if no one can help me? that is a huge amount of load on the nervous system. Yeah, and so you start going into that sympathetic nervous system, you start releasing those chemicals from the brain that then trigger the pain and we start getting into those really high anxiety states which will then cause Mm. more pain. But break, like you say, breaking it into chunks, you know, one day at a time, absolutely. Did I make some progress today or am I on a rest day? Doesn't matter, like you say, rest. Is, it's okay to rest. We shouldn't beat up. I know we're very good at beating ourselves up and giving mm. ourselves a hard time. And that's just so unfair on ourselves because we're doing such a great job. We really mm-hmm. are. Yeah. Um, so, you know, everything we've gone through, through, you know, a lot of us have had those difficult journeys to get our diagnosis and, you know, we've been through a lot. And now People are starting to take these steps to, to manage their symptoms. And you know, I think sometimes we're a little bit too hard on ourselves. And um, like you say, enjoy the journey. You know, right? you take every one day at a time. That was a really nice yeah. sentiment to, to share. I really, really like that. Thank you. Thank you. It was really lovely. And it's a that's a nice message to end on, actually. Um, I, hope, I hope everyone found you know, what Bethany shared there was, was useful to you. Um, so let, let us know, leave us some comments down below if, um, if there's anything that you'd like to share with us or any message for, for Bethany. Um, but thank you so much for listening. This was another one of our real life stories with, our, with a guest expert patient. So getting you know, the truth out about what it's really like to live with these conditions. So I hope it was useful. Um, thank you for listening. And until next time, keep moving.